All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Pastor Adam back with you again. Uh, we are getting back on track with Bible and Brew, and we are trying this in kind of a new format. Uh, I am actually pre-recording this night before so that I can go ahead and send it out as a premiere, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. So as you are watching this, uh, I am actually going to be watching right alongside with you. So I'll be uh, I'll be available in the chat if you would like to uh, comment uh, along the way. And uh, please, if you would, take a moment as we are getting started again on this Bible and Brew. So since it is uh, late here on Wednesday night as I'm recording this, I actually... <laughs> not going to brew, but I do have a coffee cup standing in with some nice cool water. So, but, uh, so it is a, another beautiful day in the word of God and uh, I'm glad to be able to jump back in. So if this works out well for me and also for you, it seems like sometimes my brain works a little bit better, uh, at nighttime before I go to bed. So I thought I'd give it a try. Let's try to pre-record it and release it um, on the following day and see how it goes. So if you uh, if you appreciate that, let me know in the comments. Um, if you wouldn't mind, take this moment to quickly just like, share, subscribe, and uh, get somebody else here on the live premiere of this uh Thursday episode of Bible and Brew, and it is a good one. It's a good day to jump back into our Bible reading plan uh, because we are starting with one of the classic books of the Bible. Um, in fact, it is the oldest written book. It was the book written first before any other of the uh, biblical accounts were written down. This was, according to tradition, the very first one. It is the book of Job. And so uh, today we are going to jump right in uh, to the first three chapters of the book of Job. And what an instructive and powerful book uh, that lays ahead of us over the next a couple of weeks. So I want you to open up your Bible with me, uh, grab your brew, and let's get into the Word of God. So Job chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and read out of the message translation. Uh, sometimes it offers uh, some insights that maybe some of the other translations don't give. Uh, so, But uh, you follow along with me, and uh, I will stop along the way and give some commentary and some understanding, hopefully, uh, that you can use for your daily life. All right, here we go. So, Job was a man who lived in Uz. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also very wealthy, 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, and huge staff of servants, the most influential man in all the East. So we can, first of all, kind of see where the Bible is going here. It's setting Job up as a, um, as a mythological character, almost. We know that Job was most likely a historical figure, but the way that the narrative is setting him up here is, is like, almost a Christ-like figure, like he has it all together, at least so far. So let's get some more details about Job. His sons used to take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning, 
and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children. Thinking maybe one of them sinned by defying God inwardly, Job made a habit of this sacrificial atonement just in case they had sinned. So, uh, wow, what can we learn already from the life of Job? Not only that he is a man devoted to God, but that all of these other blessings flow out of that. And let's just take a moment right here to say that serving God, is this is the natural result of that. When we love God and we live according to his principles, it leads to this incredible life of blessing. Not just uh, material wealth, but this incredible family that Job has. What a blessing that is. So, um, but along with that comes great responsibility, right? So as a spiritual leader in his family, um, Job takes it upon himself, which he should, which every father and every grandfather should, to begin to lay hold of God for the members of their family. Uh, fathers, maybe we can take a lesson right here and we can gain some, um, some inspiration to pray and make sacrifices for our families. What a great practice that that would be to daily, because uh, we don't know everything that's going on in the lives and in the minds of our children and those people that we love. But uh, what a great practice it was of Job to, to make an atonement uh, for his kids. Beyond that, we get some symbolic um, uh, truth here, is that the Bible is almost setting Job up as, like I mentioned earlier, almost a Christ-like figure. And uh, isn't it interesting that, just like Christ, that he's making an atonement? All right, so let's go to um, what comes next. Verse 6. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, What have you been up to? Satan answered God, going here and there, checking things out on the earth. Doesn't that sound like a, the job that the devil has in a nutshell? I'm just checking things out, going here and there. Verse 8, God said to Satan, Have you noticed my friend Job? Um, yeah, in the uh, New King James, it says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. It's almost like God is proud of Job. You, you almost wish that Job could hear God saying this in the moment, but the Bible doesn't give us any report of that. So Satan retorted, do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face. That's what. So, uh, we get a little insight here into the character of the enemy of our soul, Satan. So, the word Satan in the original language, it actually goes well along with this scripture, and it is the word accuser. And so, here's Satan. This goes all the way back to Genesis. What was his very first action that he brought on the earth was that he accused. He accused God of holding something back from the man and his wife, right? Uh, you're missing out on something 
because uh, God doesn't want you to be uh, informed. So, so here he is again, living up to his name, Satan. He is the accuser. And who is he accusing? He's accusing uh, Job that, uh, that he's saying that the only reason that Job is this upright guy is because, God, you have just pampered him so much. You've taken so well care. He's so blessed, God, that, of course, there's no way he would ever uh, turn from you. So, uh, so what do you think would happen if he reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you to your face. That's the accusation. That all of Job's uh, devotion is nothing but uh, a brown nosing, basically. So God replies to Satan, we'll see. Go ahead. Do what you want with all that is his. Just don't hurt him. Then Satan left the presence of God. We also get a little insight here into the nature and the character of God. So, was this God's idea to torment Job? No, it wasn't. It was Satan's idea. But God allowed it. When we are experiencing evil in our life, we have to always remember... That's not God's idea. God is not into tormenting us. It's not in God's character to enjoy watching us go through things. So for those who don't know, we're going through a little um, painful situation in our household. Uh, my daughter, Addie, seven years old, she burned her leg pretty bad on some uh, freshly cooked ramen noodles. And so, you know, uh, now she's got this big burn that we're having to peel some skin off of her leg and, oh, it's terrible. Uh, and, you know, with every, with every movement, uh, you know, she's feeling this, this, this stinging pain and she's crying. And here I am, I'm the one, you know, that's, that's, uh, pulling this painful skin off with tweezers and, oh, so it just breaks your heart. Right. So, I mean, in the same way, it's, you know, it's not that I want to cause pain to my daughter, but I know that that is the best thing for her in the moment so that that new skin can begin to grow in. So in the same way, you know, God doesn't gain any joy out of seeing us go through things and, and being, you know, uh, losing uh, loved ones and uh, experiencing pain and sickness. None of this is God's idea. In fact, you know, when God created this place, he never designed pain and death to be part of it, right? Death and sickness, all of that was part of the curse. And so we have to recognize that even though God, um, it's not his idea, but we also recognize God's sovereignty, that God has a plan and a purpose through it. The problem with that is that Job does not know any of this has taken place, right? This is outside of Job's perspective. It's outside of his view. He can't see what the, the, uh, the, the battle between heaven and hell that is happening uh, behind the scenes and beyond his purview. And so it, it's a perfect picture of us, no matter where we are, like right here in the middle of 2020, the craziest year that I've ever been through. There's been pain. There's been agony that people have lost lives. People have gone through horrible things, right? Um, and we, it's easy for us to like question God as Job is going to do over the next 40 some odd chapters. And it's easy for us to say, God, where are you? God, are you evil? Um, but we have to remember that, you know, that it's not God's idea in the first place to torment Job. It was Satan's idea and God allowed it because there was a purpose behind the pain. So with that permission, Satan takes off and here's what he does. Verse 13, 
Sometime later, while Job's children were having one of their parties at the home of the oldest son, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing in the field next to us when the Sabians attacked. They stole the animals and killed the field hands. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. Okay, the first uh, casualty in the devil's scheme is Job's well-being. The oxen and the donkeys, they stole the animals, they killed the, the, the servants, and he was the only one left to get out and report. So this is this is an attack on Job's bottom line. Some of you might know what that feels like in the last few months to miss out on uh, business. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the bank account's not looking so great. And uh, churches have suffered immensely uh, because we haven't been able to meet and, uh, and congregate the way we've been used to. So all of a sudden, uh, that's the kind of attack that, that Job... Uh, is experiencing from the hand of Satan. All right, verse 16, while he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, bolts of lightning struck the sheep and shepherds and fried them, burned them to a crisp. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. It's getting worse with every passing moment. Verse 17, while he was still talking, another messenger uh, arrived and said, Chaldeans coming from three directions raided the camels and massacred the camel drivers. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. What's interesting here is the source of this calamity. So the first one was Sabians, enemies. Second one was bolts of lightning. Third one was Chaldeans, another enemy. And then uh, and then the next one, it says, while he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, your children were having a party at the home of the eldest brother when a tornado swept off in the desert and struck the house. It collapsed on the young people and they died. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. So you see this combination, not only of human evil that is attacking Job's possessions, but you also see at the same time these seemingly these random acts of God, one lightning bolts and the other is a tornado. And so, you know, you kind of have to wonder, does the does, does Satan have the ability to control the weather? Um, well, I'm not here to answer that question right now. But um, what, what I want to say is that in the midst of trouble, sometimes that trouble can come from multiple places all at the same time. Some coming from uh, people who are out to get us and some coming from random places like, like, you know, things that don't normally happen, like a tornado doesn't happen every day. And so c- calamity uh, especially when it's coming from both of those sources at the same time, can be very hard to handle. All right, so what's Job's initial reaction? Job got to his feet, verse 20, ripped his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground, and this is a powerful word, he worshipped. He fell to the ground, and he worshipped. What would you do in that situation? Uh, I don't know about you, but worship would not be on the front of my mind. Um, but that speaks about Job's character right there, that he worshipped. So obviously he's in deep grief and mourning. Uh, the, the ripping of the robe, the shaving of the head, these are symbolic actions of great grief. He falls to the ground and he worships. And so he has passed the test, hasn't he? Uh, that, that God said he would. The, the, 
all, all of the things that he cares about in his life have now been removed. And still he worshiped. Listen to what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives. God takes. God's name be ever blessed. And not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. That's pretty powerful. So this is, this is about worldview. This is about how does Job see the world. And the way that Job sees the world is that everything he has has come from God. And therefore, God has the right to take it away. Now, we know, of knowing what happened behind the scenes, we know that it wasn't God that was doing all of this. We know that God permitted this to happen. But we know that this was satanic activity. However, Job is saying that if God gave it, he has the right to take it away. See, this is how you and I as believers, how we can make it through even the worst kinds of circumstances, even the worst kinds of persecution. I don't mind my dog as she drinks out of her water bowl. <laughs> but this is a question of worldview. How do you see the world? If you see everything that you have as something that you gained through your own uh, hard work, and uh, pulling your up, pull, pull, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you know, the, if you th if you are seeing life in that way, the worldview is that I have earned everything that I got. Then, when it leaves you, guess who you have to blame? It's yourself, you know. And and people, um, you know, many people go through a situation like that, and is very very depressing. Many people led to suicide because of those kinds of those kinds of um, worldview. And so, um, but because Job has a worldview that includes that everything came from God, that means God has the right to take it back. And that's okay. And that's why he's able to worship, even in the midst of the worst kind of, of, uh, of loss and grief. All right, chapter two. Let's get to the next test that Job goes through. Okay, so the angels come again to report to God. Satan also shows up. God singled out Satan, saying, And what have you been up to? Satan answered God, Ah, going here and there, checking things out. God said to Satan, Have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. He is honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity. God's like, See, devil, see, I told you. You tried to trick me into destroying him, but it didn't work. Satan answered, A human would do anything to save his life. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away his health? He'd curse you to your face, that's what. And God said, All right, go ahead. You can do what you like with him, but mind you, don't kill him. Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. All right, so... So here we see the second test, and it gets it gets harder because now uh, all of these attacks so far have been external to Job. Uh, we know that you know would be a terrible thing to go through to have all of your kids die and all of your wealth gone. Um, but the devil's not done yet. He's saying, well, all of that is still external to Job. When you start attacking his body, God, then that's the thing that's going to cause him to turn his face away from you. So God's like, I don't think so. Let's see. And again, 
not God's idea. It was the devil's idea, but God permits it in order to prove Job's uh, righteousness and his integrity. All right. Uh, verse 7, Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself. He went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. You talk about a bad day, that's it. His wife said, Still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. And before we all point our finger at Job's wife and say what Job said to her, uh, you know, we should probably be a little more self uh, self-aware and honest that that would be like 95% of human beings in this situation, right? Um, why are you still serving God, Job, if this is what you get for it? <laughs> and that is a, a natural response when, when life goes uh, a way that you didn't expect. So, um, so, so I don't blame her. You know, I, I think that that is a, that is actually a very human response, even though, you know, it's, it's not a great one. I, I can see where it's coming from and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, you know, condemn her because of this. Um, I, I saw this, um, well, never mind. Okay. So, uh, so what does Job say to her? He says, you are talking like an empty-headed fool. <laughs> we take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Not once through all this did Job sin. He said nothing against God. This takes, this takes some guts. This takes some serious integrity. See, I don't think that, that this is the first time Job has been through something. Because... Uh, you know, that kind of reaction only comes through experience of being hurt and, and making through. So uh, even when his wife begins to doubt, he, he remains in control. Um, there's an interesting interaction here between husband and wife also. This shows the reality of spiritual leadership in the home, how it is critical for husbands, you know, even in the worst of times. To be a state, a rock of stability. I think that there's something to be said about that. And not to say that it's an excuse for Job's wife to be saying those kinds of things. As I mentioned, I think it's a very human reaction. But we know that God judges a marriage based on the husband's actions and his decisions. And so, yeah, she, she vents a little bit and, uh, and Job calls her out. And you know what? That brings a sense of correction and stability back into the situation. You know, it's pretty bad when the husband is the one freaking out and becoming emotional and crying worse than the wife. Now, that's what many of husbands today would do. Uh, but Job shows us what spiritual leadership looks like in the home and in a marriage. And no doubt they're both incredibly grief struck to, to have all of their children uh, destroyed in a tornado of all things. But even in that, uh, Job is exhibiting incredible control and faith in God. All right, so here's where we get introduced to the three friends. And the rest of this uh, interaction over the next several chapters uh, is going to be between Job and his three friends. And there's a lot of things to explore as we go through these chapters. But let's, let's meet them here. Uh, verse 11, 
chapter 2. Three of Job's friends heard of all the trouble that had fallen on him. Each traveled from his own country. Eliphaz from Teman, Bildad from Shua, Zophar from Namath, and went together to Job to keep him company and comfort him. When they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They cried out in lament, ripped their robes, and dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of their grief. Then they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and nights they sat there without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt, how deeply he was suffering. So this is this is a very uh, Jewish way of expressing uh, sympathy. And it's this is actually a really helpful way that we can... Uh, support people when they're going through hard times is just to be there for them. <laughs> and uh, even to this day, when when uh, I've heard the custom is in Jewish communities that when someone is grieving, that this is what uh, families will do. They'll basically come over to that person's house and just sit with them. And for days, uh, days of mourning and just, just sitting and eating and, uh, and not even really having conversations, but just to support one another. And so I think that that, uh, we can learn something from that. Sometimes, you know, you don't have the words really to comfort somebody when they're going through something like that. But just to be with them is really, really helpful. Maybe some of you could use that right now. All right. So seven days, they're just hanging out. They're showing their compassion and support to Job. And we get into chapter three. Uh, Verse one, Job broke the silence. He spoke up and cursed his fate. Ooh, this is where it starts to get ugly. He said, obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. And the night of my conception, devil take it. Rip the date off the calendar. Delete it from the almanac. Oh, turn that night into pure nothingness. No sounds of pleasure from that night ever. May those who are good at cursing curse that day. Unleash the sea beast Leviathan on it. May its morning stars turn black cinders, waiting for a daylight that never comes, never once seeing the first light of dawn. And why? Because it released me from my mother's womb into a life with so much trouble. Now here, this kind of introduces us to another theme that we have to be careful of in the book of Job. Um, I think it's important for us to take Job as it is. In other words, it is a narrative. It is poetry. Uh, We know that it's most likely that this is a historical person uh, and historical uh, um, events that took place. However, in the midst of all of this, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of poetic language. So it would be dangerous for us to build theology out of the book of Job. So this is kind of a, an interesting point here is that Job is longing for nothingness rather than something. He is, this, this is a really, um, uh, there's a word to describe this, but I forget what it is, but he's, he's longing for that. His, the day of his birth would just have never happened. And, and, and so this, uh, this idea of wishing that he would have never been born, um, you know, let's not build a theology off of that, right? So that's not the Bible um, 
the Bible is not condoning this point of view. This is simply how Job is feeling in the moment. And it's not necessarily saying it's right or wrong here. It's just expressing what Job is feeling. And I think that's okay. He goes on, uh, and he's just wishing that his life was over. Uh, Why didn't I die at birth, my first breath, out of the womb, my last? Why were there arms to rock me and breasts for me to drink from? I could be resting in peace right now, asleep forever, feeling no pain, in the company of kings and statesmen in their royal ruins, or with princes resplendent in their gold and silver tombs. He's He's even giving us a little preview of what eternity, what he expects eternity to be like. Why wasn't I stillborn and buried with all the babies who never saw light? Where the wicked no longer trouble anyone and bone-weary people get a long-deserved rest. Prisoners sleep undisturbed, never again to wake up to the bark of the guards. The small and the great are equals in that place. Slaves are free from their masters. So um, interesting here is that uh, Job is speaking about um, babies who have died or have been stillborn, and he is recognizing that they are just as human being as anybody else. Oh, Jaylee is interested. She wants to come say hello. Come say hello, Jaylee. So if you watch Bible and Brew in the morning, now you're going to see yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, But Job is affirming the humanity of babies who are stillborn. Uh, Talk about pro-life. It's right there. So even even babies who come out of of the womb as stillborns, Job is affirming that, guess what? They're going to be in eternity too. That is something very hopeful for anyone who has gone through the tragedy of having stillborn children. Uh, You're going to be having some kids that you never met waiting for you in eternity. Let that be a source of great hope and joy for you. Uh, verse 20, why does God bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want in the worst way to die and can't. Who can't imagine anything better than death? Who count the day of their death and burial the happiest day of their life? What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense, when God blocks all the roads to meaning? Instead of bread, I get groans for my supper. Then leave the table and vomit my anguish. The worst of my fears has come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. My repose is shattered. My peace is destroyed. No rest for me ever. Death has invaded life. Okay, so again, let's not build our theology on Job chapter 3. But let's, let's take this for what it is. It's Job really feeling the weight of his situation. And that's okay. What I love about the Bible is that it doesn't candy coat life, right? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't say that it's going to be all sunshine and lollipops for the rest of our lives if, if we are serving the Lord. Job is a righteous man. And uh, even in all of this, Job doesn't sin with his lips. He never blasphemes. He never curses God. He does question God, though. And what I love about that is that God is not afraid of your questions, no matter what you're going through. So God is always interested in keeping open the line of communication, and that's okay. So even when you are in pain and struggling, God gives you permission to come right before him and ask him the hardest questions you can think of. God is not afraid of that. In fact, I think that God likes these, this adversarial tone. God enjoys this. 
because what it's doing is it is drawing Job closer to God. And you're going to see that over these chapters, that in the end, uh, Job is going to be better off through this struggle. So let me just encourage people who are going through things. This is not the reason to be separated from God. It's not the reason to drift from God. It is the reason to struggle with God. Isn't that, therefore, uh, the name of Israel? Uh, Jacob, who struggled with the angel, um, and the story goes that as he struggled, he said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And that's when he changed his name, Israel. And the thought there is that one who has struggled with God and has overcome, a prince with God. And so this is God's idea of relationship. <laughs> it is that we're going to struggle together to get to know one another. Isn't marriage like that sometimes? It's a struggle to get through uh, some days, but you hopefully are growing further together than you are further apart. So that's the idea. All right. So man, going forward into the book of Job. All right. So uh, our New Testament reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, if you've been following along with our sermon series, uh, I started doing a through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so uh, came right out of our Bible reading plan, of course. Uh, so today's reading takes us into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, famous, famous scripture in the New Testament uh, about the topic of love. So very, very powerful. So you romantic types, uh, tune in close here. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making him uh, making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Isn't it true <laughs> that we can be so involved in so many things, and uh, even, even good godly church people, that we can get in ministry, uh, but lose that precious love, love for God and love for people? Uh, that's why Jesus encouraged the, the church in Laodicea to return to your first love. That, that's what we lose all the time. So then Paul gives us an incredible description here of what true love looks like. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep the score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, and keeps going to the end. I would really encourage you today, study that, read that a few times, um, and you'll be able to, to, to decide um, if someone really loves you or not. Verse 8, love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. 
we only know a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be cancelled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. But when I grew up, I let those infant ways, left those infant ways for good. Uh, when I was a child, he says, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I lived as, as a child. But when I grew up, I became a man. Uh, that is something this generation needs to hear. Every generation, really. There are times that God says, it's time to grow up, bro. Time to be a man. Time to be an adult. Um, verse 12, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us. Knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. What beautiful language that comes from the Apostle Paul here in this chapter, uh, chapter 13. All right, so guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and close it out. Uh, the rest of the readings for today, Psalm 37, 12 through 29, and uh, Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. I want you to go back and read those on your own. So if this, uh, if this works for you, Give me a thumbs up, give me a like, and uh, um, hopefully we will continue Bible and Brew going forward. Uh, thanks a lot for your patience and uh, for sticking in there with us. I do want to encourage everyone, stay in tune, stay in touch. Uh, if you've not already done so, make sure you are subscribed to our church text alerts. Uh, we've got another uh, big day of work coming up on Saturday. We're going to need your help. And we're back in church on Sunday. So I uh, hope you all have a wonderful, blessed Thursday, and we will see you again on Bible and Brew. God bless you.